live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show. Hey, baby, we're going to be here all day. Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party. Now, here's your host, Jordy Holtberg. And a great good afternoon and welcome. Hope everybody's having a great day this Thursday, June the 9th, the year 2022. My main man, James Mesh, back in the Master Control Suite in the Game Studios. Which are on the campus of Delta Media, which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're also in Lake Charles, 1041. We're streaming 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And in the Acadiana area, we're also simulcast on television, 32.3 in stadium, 133 on LUS Fiber. We're here, we're there, we're everywhere with opportunities for you to join us each and every day, Monday through Friday, from 2 to 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. Golf. Less than an hour after the LIV Golf officially teed off its first Invitational Series event today, the PGA Tour responded by handing down suspensions to players who previously competed in its league. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan officially announced that players participating in this or any future live golf events would no longer be allowed to play on the PGA Tour. He was unclear, perhaps purposefully so, about the length of the suspensions in a statement released by the PGA Tour. So uh, live golf is up and running And uh, we shall see. Game three of the NBA Finals, the Boston Celtics with a 116-100 win over the Golden State Warriors. Um, A big first quarter by Boston, up 11, 33-22. Seeds were up by 12 at the half. Golden State made a furious run in the third and, in fact, took a two-point lead. And then Boston, with their defense, just shut Golden State down. 23 to 11 in the fourth quarter to win it by 16 and take a two games to one lead in this best of seven series. Steph Curry led the Warriors with 31 points, but he went down uh, going after a loose ball. Al Horford landed on him and Steph Curry walking around gingerly. Still no updated word on his status, but he said he would be okay and he would not miss a game. Clay Thompson got back in form with 25 points, uh, but Draymond Green was only two points, four rebounds, just very uh, mm, not not so much. Um, and you know, Jordan Poole had 10 points, but not nearly the amount that he is uh, expected to deliver for the Warriors. On the Celtics front, Jason Tatum with 26, Marcus Smart with 24, Jalen Brown um, with 27 points, so three 20-point scores for the Celtics. Um, it's going to be tough for the Warriors, no question about that. 
but we we shall see. We shall see. You heard in the two-minute drill some honorees into the um, New Orleans Saints Hall of Fame. Um, one was drafted from a fall, small school in Mississippi. The other chosen from the largest school in our state. Fred McAfee drafted in the sixth round in the 1991 draft from Mississippi College. Played 10 seasons with the Saints over two different stints. He played running back, but was best known for his play on special teams, averaging 21.1 yards on 106 kickoff returns. He also recorded 79 tackles on special teams and recovered six fumbles. He currently serves as the team's vice president of player engagement. Devery Henderson from Opelousas, drafted in 2004 in the second round, after uh, a career which he dazzled at LSU, he spent eight seasons with the Saints, finished with 245 catches, 4,377 yards. He led the league in yards per catch in both 2006 and 2008. His best season was 2009. He caught 50 passes for 804 yards and helped the Saints win the Super Bowl in that Super Bowl victory over the Indianapolis Colts, Devery Henderson, caught seven passes for 63 yards. Kevin Magnum is the other uh, to be elected into the Saints Hall of Fame. 42nd season now as an assistant trainer for the Saints. He'll be inducted as a recipient of the Joe Gemelli Fleur de Lis Award, which recognizes individuals who have made significant contributions to the team. This induction ceremony will be held during the season. So um, congratulations to all of them. Let me tell you what we have on store for you and yours today. Uh, we will go over more of LSU baseball, kind of look ahead to LSU football as we're about 88 days away from the season opener. Cokie Riley will join us for that. Um, it's going to be a very, very important uh, time for the New Orleans Pelicans this uh, this offseason. You've got Zion's Zion Williamson's extension. Um, the big problem with the NBA is local markets. A lot of the people can't see the games on television. Uh, the Pelicans looking for a new TV deal. The draft is coming up. David Griffin, is he going to get a contract extension? If you had asked me that at this time a year ago, I'd have said, heck no, he may not make it through the season. And then Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, uh, just, just to name a few, um, in the backcourt, they, they picked up a gem. And um, then they get the C.J. McCollum trade. And so right now, um, it's a pretty good idea that David Griffin's going to get a contract extension. So we'll go over some of these important details um, with our good friend Christian Clark of NOLA.com. Um, I'm thinking his name slipped me. Of course, I'm talking about Jose Alvarado. Uh, what a pickup that was. Ben McDonald will join us to start off our number two. Uh, it's Super Regional time. Eight Super Regionals, five SEC teams still alive as the SEC hopes to get 
five into the field of eight in the College World Series. Is that realistic? Is that probable, improbable? Uh, we'll talk about all of that with Ben McDonald. Uh, the Belmont Stakes is about to take place, the third and final leg of the Triple Crown. There'll be no Triple Crown winner in this one, but the winner of the Kentucky Derby is in New York to race. Michael Bakeshock, our handicapper, will um, handicap this year's Belmont Stakes. And then Chris Rosevaglu, another day of OTAs in the books before next week's mandatory minicamp. We'll go over some of the nuances with Chris Rosevaglu about the New Orleans Saints. So that's our lineup for the day. As always, a busy day, lots to cover, lots to do, and always fun in doing so. Always. Um, an important date, Wednesday, June 22nd. Wednesday, June 22nd. Why? Well, it's the game's birthday. And this is your invitation to party with us as we celebrate 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Why don't you join us at Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Caffrey, who doesn't like wings, come on, on Wednesday, June 22nd. There'll be delicious wings, amazing door prizes, including station swag. There'll be Astros tickets, a 50-inch TV donated by AVI, car washes from The Wash, donated by Service Chevrolet, a gift card from Partners Limited, and so much more. In addition, Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from the party. That'll be from 4 to 6. So come join us at B-Dubs on Wednesday, June 22nd from 5 to 9 o'clock for the game's 10th birthday bash. All right, 11 minutes after the hour on this Thursday, June the 9th. So very glad that you have joined us in whatever form or fashion that you have the radio, the internet, the television, whatever it may be, we're glad you're with us. Sit back, relax. When we come back, all the latest from Tiger Town here on the Jordy Helper Show. We're on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We are your home for the LSU Tigers. They say shooters shoot. He's a man who shoots from the hip and a man who's hip when he shoots. And no one shoots more from the hip when it comes to sports talk than the Blonde Bomber. Back to more of the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, welcome back. 15 minutes after the hour on this Thursday, June the 9th. Let's uh, dive into some LSU and... Um, Here's a guy that covers LSU football, baseball, and basketball as a reporter for USA Today Sports in the South Region with the Daily Advertiser, the young, energetic Cokie Riley, kind enough to join us. Cokie, what's happening, man? How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jordy? I'm terrific. It's kind of a quiet time. Baseball is over. We got about 88 days till football season begins, so it's kind of the the time when you don't see or hear from much, hopefully, and players are doing their, their weightlifting, getting in shape. But um, how would you sum up Jake Johnson's first year as LSU's baseball coach? I think that's an interesting question. Um, I think you can look at it in a couple different ways. I think you could look at what happened in Hattiesburg and be like, that was kind of a disaster. They, had, they just need to win one out of two games. They couldn't do either. And with more rest with, for their pitching staff and 
yet their pitching staff was the one that crumbled before Southern misses. I mean, that, that's a fair argument. You could say mm-hmm. that. Um, it, 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 that's, that might be a bit of a harsh reading, but it's true. <laughs> Nothing I yeah. said there wasn't true. Uh, but you could also say that, well, they had one of the best offenses in the nation, and you know, they were a couple plays a play here and play there away from hosting a super regional and potentially getting to the college world series. Um, and that, you know, they went from being like a middle of the lower tier as SEC baseball team that kind of had trouble making the NCAA tournament last year to being a borderline hosting team, um, just in his first season, uh, you know, and, and that's impressive in itself. So, I mean, you can look at it in a couple different ways, but I'm kind of in the middle on the fact that, Yes, they probably should have won that regional. Um, I thought they were the best team heading into the regional, and what kind of lost them was their bullpen. And the reason why their bullpen struggled was had a lot had a lot to do with the lack of starting pitching they had had, and the fact that their starters couldn't go um, particularly deep into games, and that and that compromises the bullpen after a while because then you're just leaning on that bullpen so much and so often that eventually it just sort of cracks, and that's exactly what happened. Um, so I, I, I just think, I, I think either way you look at it, um, yeah, they probably should have gotten out of that regional, but at the end of the day, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, they're, they're, they, they still had a pretty good season and there was definitely progress yeah. with this team this year. I'll be very curious to see the makeup of next year's team um, based upon the recruiting class that they've got, how many of those are going to actually sign with LSU, how many are going to get drafted. Um, and obviously you got to get better pitching. And, and are certain guys going to come back? Or are they going to uh, venture out and, and try their hands in, in Major League Baseball in, in the farm club system? You just never know. what Some kids get tired of going to class and, and going to school. Some people just want to go out and, and start making a living. You never know, right? You just don't. Yeah, and and it's some of that stuff is tougher to, to gauge now that the draft is has less rounds and the draft has had to go up these all the, through all these I guess uh, evolutions the last few years because of um, because of COVID and uh, and that's probably why you're seeing more seniors stick around with their teams um, because there's less rounds to get picked in sim- simply. Um, and that also, and then of course, affects the money that they're willing to shell. I mean, there's so many different things. There are so many different uh, ways you can sort of look at uh, whether a guy will or won't stay with this team. I think, I think without a doubt, uh, Kate Dowdy and Jacob Berry are, are off the Major League Baseball. I, I would be stunned if either came back, to be totally honest with you. Um, especially Barry, since his name's been right. uh, lightly thrown around as the potential number one overall pick because his bat's because his bat is so excellent as we've seen here at LSU. Um, but I think even if they do lose those two, their offense is going to be really good. Uh, I mean, Dylan Cruz and Josh Pearson are definitely coming back. They are not draft eligible. And Jay Johnson just has a fantastic track record of building these offensive juggernauts. He did it at Arizona, and you definitely saw the, the fruits of that labor there. And, and here at LSU, I mean – you saw that their offense was excellent. That was definitely not the problem with this team this year. And as you said, it's the pitching. And um, really, I think they can only go up from here, even if they do lose uh, Mikhail Hilliard, who was a fifth-year senior. Uh, I, I'm Ty Floyd is not draft eligible. At least that's, I, I believe, off the top of my head, at least I know that. Um, mm-hmm. So 
it's just as an example, and Sam Dutton's coming back. He's a freshman. Um, and then they added four top junior college pitchers, and um, I don't know how much you want to rely on freshmen, but there's plenty of talent coming in from the freshman ranks yeah. as well, depending on who goes to, make, to, to the MLB draft and not, of course. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be a really interesting offseason for this team. And uh, they'll hit the portal hard. And if you're a pitcher and you want to play in front of the, the best fan base in the country or the largest fan base in the country, uh, he's got a spot for you. I promise you. And uh, don't be surprised if some big-name, talented players opt to go into the portal and come to LSU. I'll put it to you this way. In all my years of covering and following LSU baseball, and this is not a knock on Mikhail Hilliard. It's really not. It's just the facts. Um, Mikhail Hilliard in the glory days of LSU baseball would have been the midweek starting pitcher uh, yeah. for, for Skip Bertman clubs. Um, he, he wouldn't have been a Friday, Saturday, Sunday guy. Just wouldn't have been because uh, they were always I mean, loaded exactly. as pitchers. He, not to, again, I don't, want to, I don't want this to be the Mikhail Hilliard dunk on fest or anything like right. that. I don't, want to, I don't want to slander him at all. But at the same time, he was you know, like a high 80s, low 90s fastball pitcher with yeah. this great curveball, but he didn't really have the explosive stuff um, to be considered an ace for a staff. Like, if he was the third starter, they'd be fine. Like, that's a fine third starter. He can go five or six innings occasionally. Right. Um, he might blow up here or there. But if he's your ace, then, well, then what does yeah. that say about your two, your three, or your midweek starter? Like, those guys can barely go three or four innings consistent on any sort of consistent basis. So, they just need to find consistency. They need to find length. That's right. And if they can find a dominant guy, then all of a sudden they're they might be a College World Series, like a real, real like Contend, national championship yeah. contender instead of I'm this not not pretender, but this very good team that um, is definitely a tournament team and and this sort of teetering on the on the on the edge of being a host or not. So that's sort of where they're at right now. But you know, I, I have some confidence that they can get to where you know, the glory days were. I, I, I agree totally. Cokie Riley with us. All right, in about 20 days, uh, Brian Kelly will be on the job for seven months. How quickly time flies. Um, <laughs> with everything that's gone on, have you noticed a change in, in the culture and the way things are done? How would you evaluate the job that Brian Kelly has done to this point in time? I, I feel like everyone said this a million times, but there's just this level of discipline and honesty that he provides. Um, I, I want to say down to earth is probably the wrong word to, to use, but there's no, nothing is feels sensationalized. And there's just this sort of, this sort of um, aura of not like we need to make this program respectable again. I don't know if it's that explicit, but just sort of that sort of, Five, I guess this sort of return to um, LSU is this is, is this incredible brand, and I am or slash we are the people who can uh, whip this whip this into shape and uh, turn this potential juggernaut into something that um, that can really become not just become this sustainable model and uh, sort of maximizes the potential. That's that's what I'm sort of looking uh, right. looking to say there. Um, I, I, I just feel like they, uh, Brian Kelly knows what he has in LSU, and that's why he came here. It, it's right. just a matter of tapping that untapped potential that has been tapped into at times. We've seen with the national championships, but at the same time, with the last two years, 
with that below 500 record, um, it's kind of gone to waste a bit uh, in the Ed Orgeron era. And I, and I think a lot of this summer and a lot of this offseason has just been trying to get back to the standard through his discipline, through his vision of, of, of that. I mean, he's done a lot of media, and I, I, don't think that's, um, I don't think that's an accident. You know, I, right. I, I think he definitely wants to push across this idea that LSU, um, that we are going to maximize the potential of this, of this program, of this um, LSU, LSU team. I'm with you. Um, DraftKings has come out with the number of wins for each SEC team. They put LSU at seven. Uh, I think LSU falls out of bed and, and can win eight. So I'm betting the over on that. I don't know. I, even though I don't know who the starting quarterback's going to be, and I know there's question marks and there's newcomers left and right. That's just the way college sports is now with the transfer portal and all that stuff. Um, I, I just I just can't fathom LSU not winning more than seven games. I know the schedule has some interesting parts and in, in the league. Every team is tough, but my gosh, come on. Eight wins ought to be very, very doable. What do you think? Um, I think eight wins is more or less what I expect is going to happen. I mean, the SEC is really hard. <laughs> That's the thing we have to remember. And, and a lot of this yeah. is very unpredictable, too, because we just don't know. Like, take a team like Ole Miss, right? Ole Miss has brought in a whole bunch of transfers like LSU. And we don't know how good Jackson Dart's going to be this year. Do we really know? I mean, right. he played a, he had a kind of a, not a, I want to say a cup of coffee as the USC starting quarterback, but he wasn't there for terribly long. And they, there's just, a lot of question marks is like how not only how good is this guy, but how will this guy fit into not just the SEC, but within their own team, and how will they perform? And you can make the same question marks with LSU and all their transfers. So I think it's tough to be like super confident in like pushing the over on seven. I would probably advise someone to bet the over if it was seven, but if the over under was eight, I would say I would probably tell that person to not um, to not. Yeah like hammer the over. I mean, if they're feeling really good about some of the guys they brought into L- I mean, you can definitely make the case that they should, they should pick the over if the over under was eight, but I, I wouldn't necessarily strongly advise it. I'll, I'll say that just because there's just so many question marks, not just with this team, but I, I just think with the rest of the league is that outside of Alabama, do we really know how good most of these other teams are going to be? I mean, there's very little continuity right. coming back from last season. Uh, except for, I guess, I guess like a Mississippi State. But other than that, I mean, Ole Miss with all their new players, and A&M is A&M, and that game's going to be on the road. So, who, like, who knows? You know, I, I just feel like there's a lot of question marks. But still have yet to be answered. If um, the SEC, I fir- firmly believe, is going to go to a nine-game league schedule uh, with three um, teams that you play every year and six teams that rotate – who would you, if that is in fact the case, who would you like to have as a permanent SEC opponent for LSU? Ooh, but it, I mean, it depends who you are and what situation. You, I'm are asking you, asking you as me as I'm a potential a- fan? Or? I'm asking you, asking you, who would you, and, and you have no skins in the game. Um, it's not going to determine whether a coach is hired or fired or whatever. Who would you like to see every year? Oh, man. I mean, LSU has a lot of rivals, but LSU doesn't have, like, 
the Alabama, Auburn, or Texas, Oklahoma level of rivalry, right? I mean, I don't right. want I don't want to sound slanderous here again, but I feel like that's a fair statement to make. So there isn't yeah. like an obvious pick like that, which is why I'm sort of hesitating uh, with my answer here. But I do feel like the LSU Florida matchup is pretty fun, and it doesn't seem like the most obvious of rivalries. And I just feel like I kind of like that Louisiana versus Florida, kind of the opposite sides of the of the of the SEC geographically sort of um, it, it, sort of dynamic. Do you know what I mean? I and I, I don't know. I, I this is a totally. Uh, uh, this is a, like this is a totally subjective answer, I guess. Absolutely, so it is. I, I guess that would be LSU Florida. But then again, you, you can make just as good of a case for LSU Auburn or LSU Alabama. Or I mean, I don't know how often you want to be playing Alabama every single year, just from a pure like wins and losses standpoint. So that's why I kind of avoided them. But anyway, what, what, what's your answer to this question? I, I would have Alabama. I would have Ole Miss, and I would have uh, Texas A and M. Personally, I think um, they, the, the Ole Miss goes back a long, long ways. Alabama is a television ratings bonanza. And if I'm, if I'm the athletic director, Alabama, you're always going to sell out. Always going to sell out. Um, and uh, A&M, it's just, just kind of there. The Jimbo thing, the, the seven overtime thing, the, all those things just kind of add to the, the flavor of, of it, um, so that's just my thoughts. Um, I could be, I could be persuaded to go elsewhere. A lot of people would say LSU Texas would be sensational, and hmm. I can understand that. Um, I just don't want to see Mississippi State every year. I don't uh, Auburn, okay, but yeah, Florida, seen them so many times. Um, we'll see them again every two years, something like that. But that would be that would be my choice. Um, I think that would draw the most interest. But but who knows? Uh, Koki Riley joining us. We've we've gone through Jay Johnson. We've gone through uh, Brian Kelly. Um, in about twelve days, um, Matt McMahon will be on the job for three months as the <laughs> LSU basketball coach. I don't know how he's done what he's done, but. To me, it's been remarkable. He went from having no players to now having a, a full team, full coaching staff. He's working on his schedule. Uh, that man must not have slept at all since he's been here. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, they've somehow been able to build a, build a full roster that um, I don't know if it's quite as talented as the last one just because – the last one was so young, which is kind of why they had some of those setbacks despite still having a very good season. Um, but it's definitely an interesting roster and definitely one that can contend to not just make the NCAA tournament or make a run in it, depending if they're allowed to be in the NCAA tournament, but that's a whole another can of worms. Um, but, I mean, considering the circumstances that he's done, and I agree with you, he's done an excellent job of uh, piecing together this roster with one transfer and uh, one four-star prospect at a time. Yeah, we'll see now. Like, just if you can get some chemistry and put them all together, we'll figure it all out. All right, Koki Riley. Um, is quiet time. What are you? What are you working on now? What? What? What, what are you working on for? Um, with nothing happening, this is tough. <laughs> see, this is uh, it's strange because for so many months it's just been go, 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 go. Yeah. And it's like one thing sort of rolls into another, it seems like. 
um, you know, when you get the when I got this job, it was like, oh, there's a slightly quieter time. Basketball's over. Um, baseball's towards the end of the season. Then before you know it, there's the SEC tournament starts, and I don't know. It, it just sort of like it, it, you just feel like something's going to be on. You get so used to something being on top of you so quickly that you, that you just sort of assume that something is going to happen and be on top of you really quickly. Um, but as but but now, as you said, it's just definitely a quieter time. Um, definitely working on some features at the moment, uh, like literally as we speak at the moment, um, and trying to set up some interviews and, and do all that sort of good jazz. Um, I mean, there's the Manning Passing Academy that's coming pretty soon, so uh, okay. we'll see if any of the LC quarterbacks show up for that. Uh, last year they were supposed to, and then they didn't. So yeah. again, that's a major we'll see. Uh, so I'll, I'll, yeah, I mean, those are the, that's the sort of stuff and, um, there's going to be a vacation sprinkled in there somewhere and, uh, go. then all of a sudden August is going to hit and we're going to start really diving into football. So it should be interesting. I think the quarterbacks at the Manning Academy are going to be like the, um, three musketeers, uh, all for one and one for all. If we don't all get invited, none of us are going. Cause that wouldn't that be interesting if one gets left out, that would, uh, that would certainly tell something. So I don't think. That's going to happen. We shall see. Koki, thank you so much for your time. Uh, uh, get a get a vacation in there, man. You deserve it. All right, and thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jordy. Thank all you. Right. I will. I, I have one plan. Thank you. <laughs> all right, buddy. Be good. Uh, Rescue is Saturday, June twenty fifth at Park International. It's a day of live music featuring the Sarah Russo Band, Jet Seven, Alayla Laverne, Hunter Corville, and Cam Nelson. There'll be plenty of food, games, even a raffle. Rescue Fest is a fundraiser for the Rescue Group of Acadiana, a group that provides financial and emotional assistance to grieving families of child loss. To buy tickets, go to Eventbrite or by visiting rescuegroup.org. That's R-E-S-C-Y-O-U group.org. Busy off-season for the Pels on the precipice of being a really, really dangerous ball club. We'll talk about some of the things on their to-do list with Christian Clark after this timeout. The Jordy Heltberg Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the Houston Astro. He's been a star on the hardwood and in the broadcast chair. So what's the secret to the Blonde Bomber's success? Easy. Taking time to work on his tan. You look marvelous. Back to more of the tanned and talented Jordy Holtberg on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, We are back. Um, The NBA Finals underway with the Boston Celtics leading the Golden State Warriors two games to one. Wouldn't it be just great if one day in our lifetime the New Orleans Pelicans could be in that position? I think it's certainly doable. I think they've got a lot of pieces to the puzzle. I think they've got a really good coach. Um, I think ownership has gone through the right ways of doing things, but it's a very, very important offseason for the Pelicans and uh, so I decided, let's bring in uh, the guy that covers them every day for NOLA.com, um, Christian Clark. Christian, how's your summer going so far, man? How are you? Man, it's been great. I've uh, got got a little downtime, been to a couple weddings, uh, man, just watching these playoff games otherwise. What have you learned from the playoff games, in fact, uh, these finals that that separates these teams from what the Pelicans are and what they do and how they how they go about their business? Oh, man. I mean, 
the Celtics are just such an incredible defensive team. Um, yeah. I mean, I I just like watching them defend. And I think if you looked at those those last four teams, Mavs, Warriors, um, Celtics, Heat, they all have very versatile bigs on the defensive end. So I guess that was one of my takeaways. Like mobile bigs who don't get like filleted in the pick and roll. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, for the Pelicans, like a guy like Larry Nance Jr. will be really important moving forward and, and finding – you know, those types of guys next to Zion and Brandon Ingram. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, you get healthy Zion and uh, anything is possible. I've learned that, uh, boy, two-way players are hard to find. Um, for instance, um, Celtics, everybody is pretty darn good on the offensive end, and every one of them plays defense. Um, Zion, great on the offensive end, eh, on the defensive end. Uh, C.J. McCollum, really good on the offensive end. Yeah, you know what I mean? And Brandon Ingram, though, is one that has improved himself defensively. And until the Pels can generate that on both ends of the court, I think that's what the biggest separation is. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, you know, the two the two teams left and, like, even the final four teams are just on a completely different level defensively than the Pelicans and getting – Herb in there certainly helped. I mean, getting Jose in there helped. I mean, it's kind of funny. I was I was having a conversation with uh, somebody who worked on the on Pelican staff this summer, and they were like, you know, when it, when it came to you know developing a game plan for stopping the other team's best perimeter player, it was pretty easy for us. It was just like we'll just have Herb guard him. Like it was it was really that simple for the Pelicans. Yeah. It's just like their best perimeter player we're just going to throw herb on him and, and we feel fine with that and you know he never misses games and he plays a ton right. of minutes um so that was a huge piece for them um but you know now you got to find some more yeah i'm with you christian clark with us the draft is june 23rd free agency starts july the 1st that's when we'll find out what's going on with zion williamson and the extension he is um he is eligible for about what 181 million over five years. Um, Pels have to protect themselves here. There's a fine line because I know, heck, if I'm if I'm the representative of Zion, I want everything and I want it all guaranteed. How much give and take do you think they'll be here? It's going to be a really interesting conversation. Um, you know, Zion has been in New Orleans working out at the Pelicans practice facility in Metairie. You know, team is like posting some of those photos, and I guess you you I've always gotten in trouble when I've when I've you know kind of commented on like is this guy in shape or not based on just photos. So I won't do that. I mean, the photos look good, um, but you know it's it's positive he's just around the team right now. Mm-hmm. And you know when that negotiation happens, yeah, I, I think you're probably right that if you're Zion side, you're like, well, look, I want all of the 181 million. I want it guaranteed. Um, and if you're the Pelicans, you know, you want to put some incentives in there to make sure he's taking care of his body and, and you know, doing what he needs to do to, to play more than he has in his first three yeah. seasons. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, he's played in 85 games in three seasons. The normal regular season is 82 games. So, um, oh, we, we shall see. Um, if you had told, asked me this a few months, uh, you know, like at the first of the year about David Griffin and an extension, I'd have laughed at you. Uh, but uh, I must admit, after whiffing on Stan Van Gundy, uh, he certainly got the uh, got it right with uh, with Coach Green. Uh, the draft, they, they ended up striking goal with Herb Jones and 
Jose Alvarado, Trey Murphy looks like he's going to be the real deal. And then the C.J. McCollum trade in February with Larry Nance Jr. Now I think you got to hold on to this guy. I think he's earned the right to to get an extension. What do you think? I mean, I think so. I mean, you know, you I mean, I think the front office has had an excellent last 10 months, um, last 12 months or so. You know, they definitely got the Willie Green hire right. Um, you know, he, I think, has a, a really good chance to be the best head coach in the, in the history of this franchise. Um, you know, they, they absolutely crushed the draft um, in, in getting three players who contributed right away in Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, and Jose Alvarado. Um, and that Anthony Davis trade, it looks like he's going to continue to bear fruit. They've, they've got a pick swap with the Lakers next year. Um, they've got the Lakers unprotected first in 2024, which can be deferred until 25 got some swaps and a pick incoming from the Bucks, So they got a pretty positive outlook right now. And, you know, if you're, if you're ownership, I mean, you know, why, why change anything? Like it, it took a while, but it, it looks like, you know, Griff is kind of delivering on his vision. Wow, I'm with you. Christian Clark, NOLA.com. I've gone back and forth with this uh, eighth pick in the first round of the upcoming draft. Um, I'm I'm convinced more so than ever in watching these playoffs. Just get me a dude. I don't care if he's a guard. I don't care if he's a forward. I don't care if he's a center. Give me somebody that can play, somebody that can handle it, pass it, shoot it, and somebody that is not afraid to stick their nose in somebody's chest and play some defense. I don't care what size they are. Just get me a player, somebody that you have to put on the court. He's not going to be a starter unless he's unless he's just a, a freak of nature and can bust into this lineup. But just give me a dude. That's what I think. What, what do you think the Pels need? Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think Draymond had you know something insightful to say you know about the difference between 82 game players and 16 game players a couple years back. I, I do think there's a difference. I'm with you that whoever I take at eight, you know, I want to feel confident that they're built for the playoffs because some guys just get played off the floor come playoff time. Um, the two names I've consistently heard the most, you know, in terms of the Pell's interest at number eight are Dyson Daniels, Australian kid who played for the G League Ignite last yeah. season, and then Benedict Matherin, uh, two seasons at Arizona, you know, kind of a shooting guard wing type um, you know, talented shot maker and, and has really got some nice athleticism around the rim. So those are two guys I'm keeping my eye on. Um, and, you know, I, I guess you just hope one of them is on the board when you're up at eight. Right, right. It's, uh, it's not an exact science. You never really know. Uh, but, man, boy, if they strike gold there, that's, that's a pretty good deal. Tell me about this TV deal um, with uh, the Pels and the issues with it. And uh, how do you see this thing going? Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of a problem in the majority of NBA markets. You know, NBA games are just not very accessible for, for fans who live in market and live in their state. Um, and the Pelicans are have not been exempt from that for the past two years. You know, there's been some frustration among fans who want to watch the games on YouTube TV, on Hulu Live, that the Valley Sports New Orleans has not been available on those channels. Um, the Pelicans' partnership with Valley Sports ended at the end of this previous season, um, they're they're negotiating a, a new deal right now. You know, I've reported that they've had conversations with NBC. You know, as a potential RSN partner, there have been some other ones. Um, just based on what I've been hearing lately, I would be 
pretty surprised if they don't continue their partnership with with Valley Sports New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm just curious how different. You know, how did they make the games more accessible if they if that relationship does continue? Yeah, that's um, you know, when Cox Sports Television was in charge, they had the same issues with some of the carriers out there, and uh, um, I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if there is a total answer to keep everybody happy, but um, with the team that they 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 have, um, man, it, it looks pretty good. I just wonder roster turnover. I mean, you know, they got 14 players under contract. So the number eight pick in the draft, that makes 15. So do you think they keep this roster intact? Do you think they try to wheel and deal? And do the Pels have players other than, um, you know, your core group that other teams would be interested in and ready to wheel and deal with? I think you could see, you know, some, I mean, like some rotation players on the move. I mean, none of the the core guys, like none of the three rookies from last year, Zion right. or Brandon, you know, will be included in any trade talks. But I mean, I could see the Pelicans, you know, looking for a potential deal for say Devonte Graham, um, just because I think if you look at the outlook for next season, you know, they got Kyra Lewis Jr. coming back from the ACL injury. Jose Alvarado gave you really good minutes at yeah. backup point guard. Um, so that I think that's definitely one name to watch. I mean, Jackson Hayes is, I think, another another name to watch. Um, but I expect it to to be, you know, mostly the same roster from last year. I mean, if there are moves, there'll be you know some smaller ones. If they go small and take Jonas Valanciunas out, do they move Zion inside and put Zion and Brandon Ingram and uh, and 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 Herb and Trey Murphy and C.J. McCollum? Do you do you see that as part of their um, their outlook on things? I think you could see a, like some Larry Nance Jr. at the five. Certainly, um, I don't think we're going to see Zion at the five. He, okay. you know, they kind of toyed with that his rookie year, and Zion doesn't like playing center. Like Zion thinks of him, thinks of himself as a ball handler, like a guy who likes to play on the perimeter and attack outside in. He does. He just does not like playing center, um, and you know, I don't think he's a great defensive rebounder. So I would be, I would be pretty shocked, honestly, if we saw Zion at the five. You know, in this upcoming season, if all healthy, all right. Give me, give me what you believe is a realistic win total in eighty-two games. If everybody stays healthy, and you know, what, what, what's, and that's highly, highly, highly unlikely. Uh, in the course of that length of a season, but what's a doable number? <laughs> I don't even know what the roster is going to look like. <laughs> um, oh man, um, I don't know. I have forty-seven wins. Would that be a good goal for this team? Like okay. fifty would be um, a smashing success, but you know, somewhere just north of five hundred. I mean, they did. I know they didn't have Zion at all last year, but they did finish ten games under five hundred in the regular season. So, yeah. you know. Some you know a couple games above five hundred realistically. That sounds fair to me. Uh, Christian Clark, Nola dot com. Pelicans busy, busy uh, off season. We'll see if they can strike gold yet again. We'll see what uh, it all turns out to be. We'll know a little bit more toward the end of this month with the NBA draft coming up. Uh, thanks so much for the time, man. Really do, really, really do appreciate it. Take care. Hey, thanks, Jordy. All right, Christian Clark, Nola dot. Uh, the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com 
or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win excellent prizes like a $50 gift certificate to the Hefshell Oyster House. You want to help uh, take your lady out for some delicious seafood? Well, we're gonna, we want to help, but you can only win that $50 gift certificate to the Hefshell Oyster House by joining the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Quick timeout, wrap up hour number one. Busy hour number two, straight ahead. We'll tell you all about it next. The Jordy Helford Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the Houston Astros and the LSU Tigers. Jordy Holberg has been a star on the hardwood and in the broadcast booth. But did you know he was also a star on the dance floor? When you wash your hair, you know, I work on my hair a long time and you can hit my hair. John Travolta ain't got nothing on the blonde bomber. Now back to the man with all the moves. Jordy Holberg and the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Next home, Cutting Edge Realty is holding their annual Loot Day on Saturday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. The charity event benefits Canine Companions, which is a nonprofit that gives to those with dogs with disabilities. The event will be located at Bollier Dog Park at 411 West Bluebird Drive in Lafayette. A food truck, Kona Ice Snow Coast Stand, will be on the site, plus music, treats, and prizes. All proceeds will be donated to Canine Companions. That's Next Home Cutting Edge Realty's Luke Day on June the 11th. Coming up, our number two. How many SEC teams will make it out of the Super Regionals and head to Omaha? We'll discuss that. Uh, we'll also take a look and preview the running of the Belmont Stakes and all the info on the New Orleans Saints. Our number two straight ahead, the Jordy Helpert Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, we are your home for the Houston Astros and the LSU Tigers. Live and local, this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. This is the Jordy Holberg Show. Hey, baby! We're going to be here all day! Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party! Now, here's your host, Jordy Holberg. It's hour number two of two, and away we go. On this Thursday, June the 9th, the year 2022. So glad you've joined us here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, with my main man, James Mesh, back in the... Master Control Suite of the Game Studios. As my producer, we roll on and we start our number two with a look at um, what I call the Sweet 16 of college baseball. 16 teams left. Super regional matchups begin on Friday at eight different sites. Of the 16 teams in it, still to win it are five SEC teams. Our good friend, the... Um, uh, Best picture in LSU baseball history, the number one draft pick, the Golden Spikes Award winner, uh, now does a tremendous job in the broadcasting booth. Ben McDonald, kind enough to join us. Big Ben, man, how you doing? I'm doing good, Jordy. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's hot. It's baseball time. And, uh, man, it's uh, 
when you get this far, you're really, really good. And I just wanted to get your opinion on some things. I know you're going to be doing what I think is one of the most interesting super regionals out there because it's uh, Southern Miss, who LSU fans are very, very familiar with, and the Ole Miss Rebels, who LSU fans are very familiar with. It's that close proximity. It's that uh, in-state thing. Um, I I just think it's going to be a whale of a series. No, I do, too. I mean, look, these are two teams that have a lot of history. They obviously play each other twice a year during the regular season, you know, and Ole Miss went into Hattiesburg and, and, and beat the Golden Eagles, you know, and, of course, uh, the Golden Eagles went into Oxford and returned to favor in a midweek game, so they both knocked each other off once and very familiar with one another, you know, and so I think the environment, obviously, LSU fans found out that it's a heck of an environment, uh, you know, over there. When you talk about the Pete, Pete Taylor Park, it's a pretty special place with the roost out in right field and everything that goes on there, and Ole Miss fans will obviously travel well there, too. So it's going to be a fun weekend. I'm really looking forward to it. We start on Saturday, so we got Saturday, Sunday, and the if game on Monday. So should be a ton of fun. Um, so much was said about my, the future of Mike Bianco. That, that was your battery mate back in the old LSU days, and so much was said. Everybody thought he's, he's not going to last the season. They're going to get rid of him. Uh, nobody's saying that now, uh, he has turned things around somehow, some way they're one of the hottest teams out there. Um, and, uh, what's changed for Ole Miss? Well, I think for one thing, their pitching got a lot better. You know, I mean, that's kind of been their Achilles heel all year long. The offense has been really good. It's been a top five offense in the sec all year long. I mean, shot and yay and the boys can can really swing it. Elko had a monster regional over at Coral Gables. And so their offense has always been really, really good. But what jumped at me is in that regional in three games, they only gave up 11 runs. You know, when you look around these regionals around the country, I mean, you know, I mean, look, there were some high-scoring games. And, and look, we're on pace to – we will set the all-time NCAA record for home runs in a you know in a postseason that's probably going to happen before we even get to Omaha that's how many balls wow. flying out of the ballpark so we saw a lot of double digit games 20 runs here and there and the fact that Ole Miss only gave up 11 runs in three games really says something about their pitching and where it is and how it's kind of turned around for them of course the offense was on point and another thing everybody's forgetting too is Ole Miss's defense was not very good this year. Like, they were just above LSU, who had the worst defense in the SEC. But Ole Miss only made three errors in those three games, and all three came in game three after they were already up by a huge score. So I felt like the pitching got better in a nutshell, and I felt like the defense overall got a lot better, too. That's what allowed them to get through that core Gables regional. I'm not going to ask you for a prediction since you're doing the broadcast of that one, but let's go through the other teams, five SEC teams. Um, Vegas has two of the clubs, two of the five is favorites in the super regional. One of them is a team that's 56 and seven, the Tennessee volunteers. Uh, they host Notre Dame starting this Friday through Sunday. Uh, that's a juggernaut. It would be a colossal upset if Tennessee's not in Omaha. I think so, Jordy. I look, I, somebody asked me before the SEC tournament, would you take Tennessee or take the uh, the tournament field? And I said Tennessee. Then they asked me when the regional started, would you take Tennessee right now or would you take the entire field in the NCAA tournament? I said, I'm taking Tennessee. I, I just think that much about them. It, it's, a, it's a team that we've not seen in college baseball, maybe ever. I mean, when you talk about what they do offensively, uh, I mean, look, some of the numbers just are gaudy, like 150 home runs. 
you know, that's the sixth best mark in the history of college baseball. And all the other marks, Jordy, were set during the, the, the hot bat era, you know, the non-BB Corbett era, if you will. And the fact they've done that in the BB Corbett era is scary. Now, listen, the ballpark over there is small in Tennessee. I get that. It's a little bit smaller than most. But they got some real dudes on that team. And then we start talking about, you know, the overall offense is the third best in the country, averaging over nine runs per game. And then you get to the pitching and you go, oh, my gosh. Like, it's it's really four first-rounders in that weekend rotation is what they have. And it's the number one pitching staff in the entire country. And so you start looking for a weakness and you go, okay, where's the weakness? No, they're top ten in the country in defense. And you look at stolen bases and you go, okay, they're top 15 in the country in stolen bases. So they can do a little bit of everything. They can beat you a lot of different ways. And – I really think this is this is Tennessee's time. It almost feels like their time. Having said that, anything can happen in the game of baseball. But to me, sure. clearly, Tennessee is the favorite. All right. Um, the other team from the SEC that's favored to win their regional, uh, Jim Schlossnagel, um, a program builder, has turned Texas A&M around. They're 40-18, and 18, and the Aggies will host Louisville on uh, Friday. It's, an, it's, a, it's a late night or 7.30 p.m. on Friday. Um, you like the Aggies in this one? Yeah, I do. I mean, if you look what Schlossnagel did, of course, he came from TCU, as you know, and, you know, it kind of all came together for them. They, they hit the transfer portal really, really hard, brought in 10 new faces, 15 new guys overall, and Schloss kind of threw it in a big old pot like a gumbo and hoping it would come out well. Well, it came out pretty good. I mean, they go from winning, what, nine games in conference last year to 19 games this year being overall you know, national seed. I think they're number five national seed. So I like them at home. That's a tough place to win, College Station. The boys are playing really good. They really have since SEC play. And I think they're going to probably come out of that one over there. I think they have enough pitching. The offense is peaking right now. And they're just a good ball club, a good ball club with a bunch of veteran guys that know how to win. Ben McDonald, kind enough to join us. We already discussed um, Ole Miss at Southern Miss. Uh, another one starting on Saturday, Arkansas, 41-19 and at uh, number 10-seeded North Carolina, 42-20. and uh, This is an 11 a, uh, 10 a.m. Saturday uh, start. Um, I don't know why. Um, I, I really like Arkansas on this. Tell me why I shouldn't. No, I, I don't think there's any reason not to. Arkansas kind of underperformed a little bit, I felt like, offensively throughout the year. I mean, they had some guys they were expecting some big years out of. They kind of just were very average. It seems to be they're kind of getting it together at the right time. And, you know, Arkansas, nobody talked a whole lot, Jordy, about the end of the year, although they did win. I mean, look, they won their final seven SEC series, but they kind of flew under the radar if that's possible because of what Tennessee yeah. was doing throughout yeah, the year. Right. You know, and so – it's a really good team. Arkansas is solid. Uh, I, I think there's enough pitching there. If there is a little bit of laps with them, it could be some of their bullpen guys or maybe a little bit in that rotation. But, you know, where they are and how they play right now, peaking at the right moment, Arkansas wouldn't shock me. Dave Van Horn has been there oogles of times, right? He's been to Omaha oogles of times. He knows yeah. how to win. He knows how to prepare a team to get there. And, again, he has an older team, too, that's kind of been there before as well. So I would not be shocked at all if Arkansas came out of that one. Uh, ben, Auburn has to travel to the West Coast, uh, to the great Northwest Coast, to take on uh, Oregon State. Uh, they're 47-16. and 16. Auburn's 40-19. and 19. That, Anytime you travel that far, that's a tough, that's a tough place to go play, I would think. Yeah, no, that, that's a concern. It's a different kind of environment there. Oregon State, a little bit cooler. Ball doesn't jump quite as good. 
Uh, Auburn, you know, to me, flew through their regional. I mean, they really played well in their regional. You know, and again, another team we didn't talk much about. I mean, they came into the SEC tournament uh, as a five or six seed. They lose game one. We didn't talk about them anymore. And all of a sudden, yeah, they right. show up as a, as a national seed at number 14. They blow right through their regional. And so, again, a team that's playing well. Uh, I wouldn't have, be honest with you. I wouldn't have picked Auburn to be there. I just didn't think there was enough pieces to that puzzle. But Sonny Deshera has led the way. Their big slugger, their big first baseman, is having yeah. a monster year over there. And there's some other pieces to go around them, you know. But that's going to be a big challenge for them that far away from home. Oregon State's got a really, really good team, and so that's going to be a fun one to watch. And hard to say Auburn's going to win that one. But look, the way they're playing right now, they very well could. Because you know, I mean, look. You can almost forget about what you've done during the regular season. It's how are you performing right now when it matters the most. And in baseball, it really matters. All of a sudden, you start to get some players that start to elevate their game a little bit, kind of like what Ole Miss did. Ole Miss was like the 64th team to get in, a number three seed. Nobody gave them a spitting chance to to make it this far, and yet they're just two wins away from Omaha, you know. And so anything can happen this time of year. A lot of people gave LSU a shot to be in a Super Regional. Sum up LSU's year in a nutshell for me. Uh, you know, I think, look, somebody asked me that today, what grade would you give Jay Johnson? I said, you know, I can't give him an A because the only way you get an A at LSU is you make it to Omaha, right? But That's right. to me, That's it was right. a solid B. I mean, a solid B. I thought, you know, Jay dealt with so much this year. Anytime you're a first-year coach, a lot of those players aren't his guys, you know, and he had to kind of get to know everybody, try to feel his way through this thing. And, look, I don't think anybody thought LSU would win 17 games in the SEC because they just hadn't been that good the last four years in conference play. But, you know, I know the pitching staff kind of got a little sideways in their regional, and they ended up giving a, what, 33 runs up, which really wasn't what that staff did all year long. I thought they handled that pitching staff very well. We kept talking about they're going to score runs, but could the pitching staff hold up? Well, in the end, the staff couldn't, you know. They just gave up too many runs. But I felt like a lot of those bullpen pieces that were so good a month ago, they got used up a lot, Jordy. And we knew that was going to be an issue because the starters just didn't give them any length this year. You know, and LSU's bullpen had to cover more innings than any other bullpen in the SEC. So I felt like some of those better arms got used up a little bit as the season went forward. But all in all, I thought it was a solid year. You win 17 games. You make it to the you know the finals of a regional. Uh, very close. Obviously a one-run game there and a chance to get to a super. And, of course, that super would have been in Baton Rouge. Who knows? LSU could have pulled something really special off and made it to Omaha in Jay's first year. But I love where this program is going, the direction of this program. I think Jay did a phenomenal job dealing with the SEC for the first time, dealing with a new team and the environment and the expectations. And I think the future's bright, you know. And I just think there's going to be a big turnover, though, at LSU. Jordy, something's just telling me there's going to be a big turnover. I hear a lot about this recruiting class coming in. I had a scout tell me at Hoover last week that, you know, if Jay just gets half of his recruiting class to end up at campus, he's still going to have the number one recruiting class in the country. That's how good it's supposed to be. So we'll wait and see how the ML draft, you know, MLB draft affects his recruiting class. And then you got the transfer portal where he's going to probably add some pieces there. So I think LSU, we're going to be talking, I think, this time next year, LSU is going to be hosting a Super Regional. Yeah, I, I've got to believe if you're a pitcher that's worth a grain of salt out there and um, – and you want to go play in front of the best fans in college baseball, I think Jake Johnson will take you as a picture. I think he'll take you. Yeah, I think so. And, look, Jay, and, and, and we, you know this. I mean, Jay is a tireless recruiter. And with the yep. transfer portal being what it is, and, and, and look, Texas a and is a perfect example of that. I mean, you go from nine wins 
in conference of 19. You get a, basically a whole new team. That's and you know yep. Jay's out there hitting it hard right now, trying to see what yep. kids have any interest. And I think that is that is his number one concern, obviously, is got to be pitching. You know, he needs some real – and I'm not taking anything away from Mikael Hilliard because I thought Hilliard did a wonderful job. But Hilliard doesn't have Friday night stuff, although he will give you Friday night results from time to time. He's just not a big Friday night dude. That's what was missing from LSU this year is a couple of real guys in that weekend rotation that could give you some length. I still like Tyus Lloyd. Tyus Lloyd's got to develop an all-speed pitch for me, though. You know, you can't live in this, in this conference and in this environment with one pitch. And I think if Lloyd can develop, he could be a weekend rotation guy for you. I feel like one of these new guys coming in is going to fit that weekend rotation. I feel like Jay's going to go out and get him – a guy that's going to go in that weekend rotation, too, in that transfer portal. So that's got to be his main interest right now. Because, look, from an offensive standpoint, anytime you're starting the year with Cruz and Morgan, that's a pretty good start to go with your offense next year. I think Stevenson and Pearson are your next great LSU hitters that will come through. And then, you know, Brayden Jobert could be back, right? I mean, Gavin Dugas could be back in that fold. And so you start bringing six or seven. Jordan Thompson could be back. You start bringing six or seven proving guys back in your lineup. I think the offense is going to be fine next year. The big question mark going in is going to be, okay, what kind of pitching was able, was LSU able to go get this offseason? I'm with you. Um, I greatly appreciate uh, your time as always. I may be stretching this, but back back in the day, honestly, and this is not a knock on Mikhail Hilliard, but Mikhail Hilliard might have been my Tuesday night starter back when LSU was rolling. Uh, that's the kind oh, of guy yeah. you had because you had three studs. No. Yeah, no, no doubt. And look, but, but you got to give Mikhail here your credit, and I do too. And, and I'm not picking on him, like I said, but because of Mikhail Hilliard's run last year, LSU made it and won a regional last year, right? And because of what he did this year, he was the glue to that team this year. And, but you're right. When you look at the stuff, I mean, you don't see many guys throwing 87, 88 miles an hour pitching on Friday nights in the SEC. You know, you didn't even see that 20 years ago, but that's what that's you right. get from Mikhail Hilliard. But, he pitched his butt off this year. He did yes, it for the last did. couple of years, and he was the glue to this team, and that's what gave them a chance to go along with you know the guys that Paul – or not Paul brought in, the guys that Jay brought in, and Gervais and Razelman. Riley Cooper was so big this year that he brought in from Arizona. So, all in all, I think it was a solid year for LSU. We always wanted to do better, and the expectations are always more. But I love where the program is. I love Jay Johnson. I think if LSU fans really give him a shot, you know, he's going to do some special things the next three or four years. Ben, can't thank you enough. Have a ball. I think you're going to have one of the best, uh, the best super regionals out there with, uh, with Southern Miss and Ole Miss. I think it's going to be terrific. Thank you as always, man. Uh, safe travels. Have fun. All right, Jordy. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, Ben McDonald, kind enough to join us with the very latest on the super region. I think uh, A&M survives. I think Tennessee survives. I think Arkansas uh, survives and advances. So we'll see. Today is the day that you're going to sign up for the game clubhouse, right? Well, not only is it free to join, but you'll get the chance to enter to win tremendous free gifts, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse. Mouthwatering steaks cooked to perfection, tremendous sides, and so much more. You can only score that $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse by becoming a member of the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So go sign up today. We'll take a time out. When we come back, we'll preview the Belmont Stakes here on the game. 1037 Lake Char- Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, where you're home for LSU Sport. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. June 9th, 1946. 
New York Giants skipper Mel Ott becomes the first manager in Major League Baseball history to be ejected from both games of a doubleheader. The Giants lose both games to the Pittsburgh Pirates. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And we welcome you back 22 minutes after the hour. There won't be a triple crown winner in 2022, but with this Saturday's running of the Belmont Stakes, at least we get to see the Kentucky Derby winner, Rick Strike, uh, run again after he sat out the Preakness Stakes. So to get kind of a, a look-see into the race, we join our good friend who is, uh, uh, has been inducted into the National Horse Player Championships Hall of Fame, the one, the only... Michael Bakeshock. Michael, um, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Um, terrific today, Jordy. How are you? Oh, I like to hear that. I like to hear that you're <laughs> terrific. That is awesome. Uh, what kind of race are we going to have Saturday? I think we're going to have a really competitive, interesting uh, third jewel of the Triple Crown race. Okay. Um, as you said, you know, there's no... There's no triple crown on the line, but we do get a Kentucky Derby winner. Uh, we get a, a horse, you know, people are kind of chattering about the one horse, we the people. Uh, we get one of the horses that I've always I've pointed to, I think on your show before the Derby, that I thought this was going to be his race to win, Mo Donegal. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we also have a horse that I actually bet in the future book of the Kentucky Derby back in February, uh, which that bet did not turn out very well, but I can, I'll say to my, in my defense, maybe I was a keen spotter of early talent that just didn't progress, but that horse is golden glider. So we have a nice field, you know, uh, and I think it's just going to be an interesting race. And, you know, thankfully, you know, we have the the winner of the Kentucky Derby uh, in there. So to, to make it even better than, than what it looks. Um, the Kentucky Derby's number one, of course. Where where does the Belmont rate as and as with the Preakness? Uh, who, who, where do you rank them? Well, I think not. I mean, my opinion is not. You know, <laughs> it's not taken. You know, it's taken with a grain of salt. But I think the opinion that matters is those of the people that that buy horses. Uh, and and there's no question that the Belmont, you know, ranks way up there. Okay. Uh, next to the Kentucky Derby, uh, among breeders who want to buy horses that are sired by uh, winners of the Belmont Stakes, just because it shows that you know those types those horses usually can can get that distance of ground where most of the major money uh, is these days. And and I'll also mention that we have you know as part of the interesting makeup of this race, we have a filly yep. nest. Um, yeah. who ran second in the Kentucky Oaks. Um, so we have, you know, it's we've got a little bit of everything in here. I did some research on this. Uh, Nest is uh, trained by Todd Pletcher. Uh, uh, Nest is trying to become the fourth filly to win the Belmont. Todd Pletcher sent out the last one, Rags to Riches, way back in 2007. So uh, keep an eye on that one. What uh, this is the this is like the test of a champion, right? This is the the longest race. It's uh, the, what, what kind of horse does it take to win this thing? It is the longest race. So just to kind of put it in perspective, uh, the Derby's a mile and a quarter. 
Preakness is a little bit shorter. This race is a quarter of a mile longer than the Derby. And in terms of just, you know, time, you'll get to see about 25 to 26 seconds of more of racing than you did in the Derby. The Derby usually runs, you know, two minutes and two, two minutes and three. And this race will probably go two minutes, 28, two minutes, 29, something like that. So, you know, you, you get a little bit of a bonus. It's a very long race for horses. Um, they, they, we don't normally run dirt races at a mile and a half. Most, the, the longest distance is usually a mile and a quarter. Um, and that's a classic distance. So this will be the longest race probably for most of these horses that they've ever run. And we'll, well, it is certainly that they've ever run but also that, that they'll run ever again in their career. But it certainly is a called, yeah, the test of, of champions. Yeah. You like Mo Donegal. He's going off at 5-2. to two. He won the Wood Memorial and the Remsen Stakes in New York uh, in New York and broke his maiden at Belmont Park. Uh, had a horrible trip in the Kentucky Derby, but still finished fifth. What do you like about Plexer and Mo Donegal? Yeah, you know, the thing that I really liked about this horse was um, when I when I talked about him being the the, the Belmont horse is he's just a big horse and he his stride I think we talked about this on the show for the Derby and it certainly manifested itself that he he's not able to like start and restart and stop quickly he's he's not actually you know that kind of nimble but he has a tremendously long stride so in a race where there's only um, eight horses. And going around a long distance, he's, you know, unless he finds, gets himself into some crazy trouble, he should be able to utilize the, the advantages of that just long, you know, easy running stride. And at a mile and a half, he just has a, he, he it looks like he just has a, uh, an idling speed, you know, that is better than these other ones. And when he lengthens in the stretch, like he did in the Wood Memorial, I mean, it was really something to, you know, that kind of caught my eye. And I just, I think he'll have every opportunity to use the advantage of that great stride that he has. And, you know, he's, he just looks like he wants to run forever. Um, And he ran a good race in the Derby. You know, there were two horses that were really closing. Uh, One of them won the Derby rich strike and the other one, you know, ran fifth and that's Mo Donegal. And, um, you know, I think he'll, you know, trip probably won't be an issue for him. Yeah, he'll probably be five to two, but that's fine. I'm I'm gonna stick with him. I think he's a very very strong bet um, on Saturday. You have forgotten more about this industry than I'll ever know. But one thing I can guarantee, uh, without a doubt in my mind, uh, Rich Strike is not going to be eighty to one in the Belmont. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, He's not, and 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 sometimes, Jordy, I wish I could forget some of the stuff that I know about this industry, uh, but I can't. Um, but no, Rich Strike won't be eighty to one, and 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 he won't be the favorite. I don't think. I mean, so you know, you'll still you're still going to be able to get paid a little bit if he if he wins, and it'll probably be, you know, four to one maybe. That's a good price, and from all yeah. indications, everybody he just looks like on the track. He's He's doing terrific. Like he's really, you know, they made the right decision in the past, the Preakness, give him some time. And um, all, all accounts are, his workouts are great, and he just looks really, really well on the track. So I sure do expect, and I said this after the Derby, I, I, I expect him to run. 
a really good race. I mean, I just think he probably is a horse that figured it all out, and mentally he's kind of putting it all together, and I think he's going to run a really good race on Saturday. Are we going to have a rabbit in this race, or do you anticipate a slow pace? And if it's so, who does that favor and who does it not favor? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and the one horse, the horse I referenced earlier, We the People, who won the Peter Pan Stakes at Belmont a couple of weeks ago, he's definitely the speed of the race. Okay. And he won that race going wire to wire. Um, he's f- breaking from the one hole, so he'll probably have to go a little bit early. And then after him, there just doesn't really seem to be a lot of speed. So it's, you know, I mean, like non, none at all. It could be, you know, he, he's going to have a pace advantage. Um, okay. So we, the people, is not a rabbit, but he's he's going to be the favorite, I also think. So, you know, okay. he, he, that, it's t- it's, he's going to be tough to beat, very tough to beat. But I, I just think that last race probably took a lot out, took too much out of him. And I'm just I'm a little against him, uh, certainly on the price alone, but just because he's probably a little bit overrated. But um, he he could go wire to wire. There's no question about that. Chance of rain, and he uh, he did win the Peter Pan on a wet track. So we shall see. All right, uh, push comes to shove. Are we doing Mo Donegal or are we changing our mind? What are you thinking? I'm not changing. I'm not at least at least. Today on your show, I'm not changing. When we get down okay. to post time on Saturday, I might not like the price, but okay. I really just think this horse is um, is a Belmont horse, and and the fact that Mike Rapoli, who won the who's from New York, grew up around the track, bought an interest in this horse before the Derby. I think he always had his eye on the Belmont, and uh, Todd Pletcher certainly knows how to win the Belmont. I just this is a very strong play. A good push for me, but I'll take a flyer on my pre-derby future bet, Golden Glider, to somehow sneak up into the exacta. So I'm going to make it a 6-7 Modonagal Golden Glider and maybe a rich strike coming in third. That's a cold trifecta. I love it. I love it. Uh, Michael Bachock, <laughs> thank you, buddy. Thank you so much. It's, I, I, I'm, I wish we had more of these great races so we could do this more often, but certainly do hey, appreciate hey, let me you. Tell you something, Joy. I, I could talk about this about a race that, that they run for $5,000 claimers that the winner makes $3,000. So anytime <laughs> you want to talk horse racing, I can talk it up, baby. You got it, bro. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember <laughs> that statement. Thank you. Enjoy the race, man. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Joy. Michael Bakeshock, the Hall of Famer, kind enough to uh, join us here today previewing the Belmont Stakes. Trail is putting on a free all-day event Saturday, June 18th at Cafe 20.3 at 1500 General Mouton. In addition to free paddling, there will also be a party featuring live music to help out the Mile Zero Heroes by raising awareness and funds to build the new Teetfer Park and Boat Launch at Mile Zero of the Vermilion River. It's either mile zero or mile O. I think it's zero. Uh, donations and sponsorships are welcome. Trail will match up to 20000 in donations. For more information, visit www.latrail.org. All right, so we've done LSU stuff. We've done the Pelicans. We've done baseball super regionals. We've done the Belmont. Time to talk some NFL and the Saints. Chris Rosevergoo joins us next as we continue 
here on the Jordy Helfrich Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the Houston Astros and the LSU Tigers. Stay with us. The Jordy Holberg Show prides itself on settling for nothing less than the best. This thing has a variety of nauseating aspects to it. Jordy has the best takes, the best guests, and let's be honest, the best nickname. The Blonde Bomber is cool as hell. I agree. All right. Let's play ball. Back to only the best on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, welcome back. 38 minutes after the hour. Let's get the very latest uh, lowdown on the New Orleans Saints. And we turn to our writer for the spun at SI Now, Saints podcaster for Boot Crew Media, our good friend, the always informative Chris Roseverglue. Christopher, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Jordy. Thank you for having me on. I hope all is well with you. All is well. Um, I certainly appreciate your time. Mandatory minicamp right around the corner. Um, we don't anticipate Michael Thomas participating in that, do we? No, unfortunately, Dennis Allen said it's it's looking pretty doubtful as far as Michael Thomas's availability for next week. That doesn't mean that you know Saints fans should start pressing the panic button yet or start sounding the alarms. But uh, I, I think the the realistic target date right now still remains the start of training camp. That gives Michael Thomas about six weeks to get that ankle right and. Hopefully, if all goes well, that's when we'll see him. But I, I would be shocked if we see him at mandatory minicamp. Uh, last day of the, you know, you don't have to have, you don't have to go. There were a lot of players not there at the OTA today, but I don't care about all that. But uh, I think one player that um, that I'm very interested to see that nobody's given much attention to, but I think he's very important to this team, and that's Will Lutz. Boy, it's great to have him back. It absolutely is. You know, everyone talks about Michael Thomas coming back and if Jameis Winston's healthy, and those are such big factors. But there were two games in particular last season, thinking about the Titans game, thinking about the Giants game, where the Saints kicking situation legitimately cost them. I mean, the Titans game, they missed two extra points, and then at the end of the game, they needed a two-point conversion to tie it. They didn't get it. They lost that game. And, you know, had they won it, we look back, maybe they're a playoff team. So, Getting back Will Lutz is just such a huge thing. And uh, I actually spoke to special teams coordinator Dan Rizzi this week about getting Will Lutz back. And he was talking about not, you know, not just what he brings from an individual perspective, but when Will Lutz is on the field, he says that whole special teams unit is amped up. He's kind of the motivator of that group. So I think you get Will Lutz back out there, and if he's back to doing what he's capable of doing, you're looking at a Saints kicking game that will be far superior than it was last year, which – Makes sense. I mean, they went through four starting kickers during the 2021 season. Chris Roseville, uh, kind enough to join us. Um, what, what's your expectations of this club from a win total? I mean, I, so much depends. Of, uh, we know so much depends on Jameis Winston, but I don't think Jameis Winston has to be that superstar quarterback. I think he's got enough stuff around him with a really, really, what should be a really, really good defense. I hate to call him a game manager, right? Because this is the NFL, and you got to be able to score. But uh, what's a realistic expectation in your mind? Yeah, you know, when I look at this team, I think that it, they seem somewhere around the ballpark of anywhere between 9 to 11 wins. And if all goes well, then we could kind of tinker with that, that win total and, and raise it up. But 
I think looking at them now, they kind of have the feel of a 10-7, and seven, maybe if all goes well, 11-6 and six football team. And uh, I think you're absolutely right about Jameis Winston. Would it be nice for Jameis Winston to kind of be the driving force for a couple of Saints wins this upcoming season? Absolutely, and it's possible. That could happen. I mean, they've upgraded the receiving corps. The offensive line should be healthier. So by all means, there should be some games where Jameis Winston absolutely lights it up. But to your point, if the defense is playing the level that we're ca- they're capable of playing and we know they can play, then he's not going to be asked to do everything. And the Saints are going to be at their best. It's going to be having a good defense and the offense playing complementary football, not turning it over, making sure they take right. care of time of possession. And I think for the Saints, that's kind of going to be the, the keys to victory there. So, no, I don't, I don't expect Jameis Winston to necessarily put up MVP numbers, but I think he has the arm talent uh, and certainly the arm strength to have those kind of wow plays to stretch the field and give you – maybe that, that burst and that pop that you don't normally expect from game managers. I know when people think of game managers, they kind of think of like the dink and dunk approach, but Jameis right. can add that element that the Saints haven't had in terms of the deep passing game. So uh, I think this is around a 10-7 and seven ball club right now, but look, if they hit the ground running and the NFC South is looking vulnerable, who knows? Maybe we could change that number. I'm with you. Chris Roseworth, Luke, kind enough to join us. Two new members of the New Orleans Saints Hall of Fame. Um, Fred McAfee from a small school in Mississippi who was uh, ran the football, but mo- mostly he was a terrific special teamer. And then Devery Henderson, the wide receiver out of LSU, who uh, was that what we hope Chris Olave turns into, right? That that take the top off the defense, the deep threat, the the long ball home run hitter. Yeah, absolutely. Devery Henderson was one of those receivers that it just felt like every season he was averaging at least like 15 yards per catch and. That's when I was right. thinking about Chris Olave and I was looking at you know uh, potential projections and what he might be able to do in his rookie season, uh, I kept coming around that number anywhere between 15 to 20 yards per catch. I was like, I think he's that type of downplay, deep threat guy. Uh, and I will say, while a lot of the talk is about, hey, was Michael Thomas coming back? When's he going to be ready? Uh, while that's going on, you have Chris Olave and Jameis Winston starting to build that rapport on the on the field, and I think that's great for the Saints and. There are multiple, you know, cut-ups that we've seen over the last couple of weeks of them, you know, in action together. And if that continues to build, you want some exciting plays down the field that the Saints used to have with Devery Henderson, I think they absolutely can get that with Chris Olave and Jameis Winston throwing in the football. Um, some teams are already in their mandatory mini camps, including the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady um, spoke to the media and addressed some reports on the rift that he uh, supposedly had with Bruce Arians and the fact that he did kind of hint around that, yeah, I did talk to the Miami Dolphins uh, about joining their organization in some capacity. How about that? You know, it it was so funny the way he answered it because he went kind of on a rant and then he continued to talk about what he's going to do post-football and, you know, how many opportunities have been thrown his way and you know, by the time you finish listening to his answer, you're like, okay, well, you didn't deny it. And I, yeah. I just can't help but wonder how different and maybe weird the league would look had that whole plan come into fruition with him going to the Dolphins and maybe Sean Payton going on board. And while that would have looked weird, I'm sure maybe Saints fans wouldn't have been happy about that. The flip side would have been, hey, no Tom Brady on the Bucks, and that would make the NFC South a little bit weaker than it currently looks. So uh, it would have been wild, and I'm not surprised that he didn't turn it down. And I think that actually makes things – a bit interesting next year because he can become a free agent after this season, and if he's not ready to go to Fox yet and become a lead <laughs> analyst, who knows? Maybe he considers going to the AFC Yeah, he's certainly not going to the Live Tour the way he played golf the other day. Uh, but other than <laughs> that, it's it's okay. Um, 
you know, he, he's got a broadcasting gig waiting for him whenever he decides that's what he wants to do. Drew Brees uh, said he wanted to get away from broadcasting. It was, uh, uh, you know, especially when you, you've played football for so long uh, and, the, and the, the concentration and the level of work and, and the time frame that you're there doing your job. And then to get into broadcast, I don't think he had any clue as to what broadcasting was all about. So he, he's opted to get out of that. Do you think there is a place and a role that Drew Brees can serve in the New Orleans Saints organization? Do you think that Gail Benson would like to have him around in some form or fashion within the organization? You know, I think the Saints would probably be more than happy to have him near the organization. Now, obviously, I can't speak for them, but I'd imagine, you know, when the greatest player to suit up for the franchise, if he comes to you and says, hey, I feel like I have something to offer in terms of coaching, well, you kind of look at what the Saints have done the last couple of years. You know, a player like Zach Streep joining the coaching staff. We've seen Sterling Moore help out with the coaching staff. So they're no strangers to bringing back former players and seeing what they have to offer, uh, you know, as coaches. I'll say for Breeze, what's interesting is, you know, He's such, you know, it always seems like he has to be in some type of rhythm where he's working, right? And he's such a hard worker in that degree. The flip side to the broadcasting thing is it it seems like he wanted to spend that extra time with his family if he decided, let's say, to maybe go into coaching and help out with this Saints quarterback room. Does that take away from that time that he seeks out with his family and how would he react to that? I'm not sure. But I I do think that a guy like him with the experience he's had, with the defensive coverages he's seen, He's seen throughout his career. He can absolutely be an asset to a team, specifically the New Orleans Saints. Uh, whether or not he's up for that, that's a different question. But if you were the Saints and Drew Brees comes knocking and says, hey, I want to help coach up this quarterback room, I'd, I'd feel like you'd have to at least hear him out. Uh, and there's some things he could teach the guys for sure. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. So I, so not, just like um, people think broadcasting's easy, going from player to coach, that's not easy as well. Uh, but with that mind, you, you just never, ever, ever know. Um, and I hate to even bring it up, but uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm so glad the Saints weren't involved in this Deshaun Watson thing that he went to Cleveland. Could you imagine what, what life would be like here and now if he were in New Orleans Saint as another um, defendant has come up and is now in the Deshaun Watson suit? I mean, this is it's never ending. It's it's not ending, and it and it's really frustrating. I think for for a variety of reasons. I think for starters, this is kind of why you know when you saw the teams linked to Deshaun Watson. I remember there were a lot of Saints fans who were against it, and they and they were you know adamant about that, and I couldn't blame them because you know the type of baggage that comes with this, and you know now that we're seeing over the last couple of days the reports that come out. There's one that said he had 66 massage therapists over a 17 month period. Obviously, that doesn't look good on his part, and I think for starters. The NFL has to put down something. They need to clarify what his status is going to be for the regular season. I know that we still have got about three months left, but it just seems like they've been so quiet about this, and everyone's looking for them to give a definitive answer that the more silence, the worse it gets in terms of all the noise and the drama. And for the Browns situation, and this goes for every team, including the Falcons and the Saints that pursued him, yeah. you knew what you were going to get into the minute you tried to get him, right? You accepted that right. he's a really good quarterback, and you said, you know what? He's so good, I'm willing to deal with the backlash that may come with it and the bad PR. And you know what? For the Browns' sake, you made your bed. Now you have to lie in it. But it, it really is damaging. And, you know, I, I wonder if these teams that did go after him, they thought it would stop there. But just over the last two weeks, two additional lawsuits have been added. And who knows? Maybe there are more in the future. But it really is a, a tricky situation. I think it's a frustrating situation for a lot of people involved. 
Uh, of course, we're we're mainly concerned with Alvin Kamara and uh, and because of what he brings to the club and 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 all of his skills out there. We we don't know if he's going to play, how many games he's going to miss, when when he's going to miss those games. Um, golly, I, I got to believe the coaching staff with the NFL moving the or with the trial date rather being moved back to August. That had to be a head scratch. You're going, why can't we just get this thing resolved one way or the other so we know what we need to do? Yeah, I think, you know, if you're the Saints, to your point, you would love to have, you know, a definitive answer as to when he's going to miss time, if he's going to miss time. And uh, it is tricky. It kind of works both ways, right? Like there's a scenario which would be the bad scenario where, you know, middle of the season, the Saints are rolling, and then you find out Alvin Kamara gets hit with a four or six-game suspension, whatever it might be. That would be the, the terrible scenario. Then maybe yeah. there's a positive scenario for a Saints team that seems to be all in this year on winning that, who knows, maybe this drags out, and it's not until next season that he gets suspended. So, I, you know, there's, there's both sides of the coin there. But uh, I agree. I think it would be better for the Saints to already know, and, and this way, let's say he had to miss the first four games. Okay, is there a veteran running back like a Devontae Booker that they might want to sign, or do they feel comfortable with Mark Ingram and Abram Smith and Dwayne Washington? Uh, I think it'd be a lot easier for them to know. Hopefully, though, they figure out before week one rolls around. I think the worst-case scenario is you know, week one comes around, and all of a sudden that's when he gets the suspension. That, that would be a tough spot for them. Yeah. Uh, it'll be a very important week. We'll see who's there, who's uh, who's able to practice, who's not able to practice. A mandatory mini camp is next week. Three days of football heaven in the heat on Airline Highway. Uh, Chris Roseverglue, thank you so much. Always appreciate your time. Have a great, uh, uh, great rest of the week and weekend, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jordy. Have a great Friday and weekend. All right, buddy, you're the best. Chris Rosevoglu, kind enough to join us. All right, um, we'll take our final timeout of the day, and we'll come back with some birthday wishes, wrap this thing all up. This is the Jordy Helpert Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the Houston Astros. Stay with us. Here's three pieces of advice to live by. Never play cards with a guy whose last name is a state. Don't spit into the wind. And always listen to the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, Maroon 5 was certainly good back in Endemian. and Demian Ball back in February. So good. So good. All right. Um, we're going to wrap things up today. Special thanks to all of our guests today. Cokie Riley talking all things LSU. Christian Clark on the Pelicans. Ben McDonald on the Super Regionals. Michael Bakeshock on the Belmont Stakes. And Chris Rosevaglu on the New Orleans Saints. If today, June 9th, is your birthday, happy birthday from all of us to all of you. Hope you have a sensational day. You're uh Kind of joined at the hip with uh, 59-year-old Johnny Depp and uh, Back to the Future and, and many other things. Michael J. Fox is 61 years old today. James, thank you for all you do as the producer of this soiree. Thanks to all of you for listening in in whatever form or fashion that you do. Thanks to our partners that make it possible each and every day. Tomorrow, a fun-filled Friday. Um We'll set you off to the weekend in the right frame of mind. So until then, I'm Jordy Helper. Stay thirsty, my friends. Do everything you can to stay healthy. That's the most important thing. Get active. Be healthy. Be kind to one another, and let's all be happy. Have a great night. 
We'll see you tomorrow. So long, everybody.